Well, good morning. Do you ever look at your past and feel the pains and the guilt of mistakes that maybe you have made back in your day or sins that you have committed? It almost feels like a ton of bricks are upon your shoulders and they also seem to weigh down your heart as well while exhausting your mind because you can't just seem to let it go and go on with your life. You wonder if you'll ever be able to shake off that guilt and feel clean again and free. Well, in today's scripture, we learn about a hope and it deals with how God looks upon us when we feel that pain and that regret. It's a message about second chances, which is something that all of us wish that we could go back and have at certain points in our lives. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, looking at chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 today. And just to give you a little bit of background uh, that has led up to this event in history, Jesus and his disciples have entered the city and they are partaking in the festival of tabernacles. Now, during that week, Jesus, of course, was in the temple teaching in the early morning. And of course, as usual, when he would be teaching, it would cause sort of a, a ruckus. He would stir up those who would listen to him, including the high priests and the, and the Pharisees. And those guys wanted to arrest him. They wanted to and so much just so that they could end this movement that he had created. However, when they were sent to arrest him uh, during that week of the festival, they found themselves intrigued also by his teachings. And when the Pharisees heard that the men that they had sent failed to arrest Jesus, their anger grew even more. When they asked them why they didn't arrest him, their answer was, no one has ever spoken the way that he does. So our message begins here in chapter 8 of John in verse 1, following the festival of tabernacles that has just concluded. And Christ has made his presence known within the city walls during that week. But here he goes to the Mount of Olives. However, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses. It commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to him, said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with a woman who was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So following that previous day that we had mentioned earlier, a day when the Pharisees were planning on arresting Jesus, he goes to the Mount of Olives, one of his most favorite places to pray and to spend time with God. And early that next morning, he comes back down to the temple and he was teaching once again. And while he was there in the middle of speaking to all of these people, here comes the Pharisees with this woman, most likely dragging her along and throwing her in the feet, at the feet of Jesus. They proceeded to tell Jesus that this woman was caught red handed committing adultery. What do you think should be done to her? 
Now, it's no secret how bad of a sin it was that this woman had committed, because in those days there were three major sins that could be committed that called for the execution of stoning. One was murder. The other was idolatry. And then we had adultery. And it's here where we can jump to conclusions within our very own minds and agree with the Pharisees and the group of people claiming that this woman should be punished. But what we really need to do is pause, take a step back and ask ourselves, what really is going on here? These very people, the Pharisees and high priests hated Jesus. They despised him so much that they were willing to do anything to trap him in order to eliminate the influence of his teachings and completely ruin his ministry and even get rid of him for good. And here's this woman who's been thrown at the ground in front of Jesus. She's lying there in the dirt, just soaking in her guilt and shame of what she has just done, surrounded by many people as well. We can only imagine the embarrassment and the regret that she had been overcome with. Have you ever been called out for doing something wrong or something that you have sinned in front of a large group of people? Maybe it was your family, your friends during a meeting at work or in front of a committee that you serve on, wherever it may be. But the thing is here is that this woman had no way of defending herself because remember, she was caught in the act. There was no denying what she had done. And within minutes, she had been humiliated in front of tons of people. And she's been thrown at the very feet of the person that many claim to be the Messiah. But still, we have to ask ourselves, what is really going on here? Remember, these high priests and these Pharisees have been involved in a number of debates and arguments with Jesus. And every single time that they did so, they were proven wrong. By Christ, who was displaying his wisdom, and, and they would just have to walk away as failures who had attempted to trap Jesus, to ruin him. Now, Jesus had a way of replying in short answers at times and often turning it right back on to them, which would embarrass the Pharisees and Sadducees right in front of the large crowds of people that had gathered to hear Jesus speak. And it was in that jealousy and in that anger that they were more than willing, more than willing to stone this woman to death just so they could corner Christ and destroy his ministry. Does this sound familiar at all to you? We see it all the time in the headlines while we're watching TV or scrolling through our social media, social media feeds. We see the media and certain groups of people just looking for celebrities or professional athletes just to trip and to fail at something, whether it be their careers or in their personal life and their moral conduct. And as soon as that happens, they go into action. They strike. They try to ruin them and end their career because that person has messed up. And it doesn't matter if it happened 30 seconds ago or 30 years ago. And it doesn't just happen to the rich and famous. It happens within our own communities as well. We've all seen it because it even has a name in today's world, and we call it the cancel culture. Now, something that we'll have to find out, as we'll see as we progress through this message, is, is that most of the time it is those who are the most judgmental and that the most condemning are those who have the most to hide themselves. And that is exactly what we see here in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Now, it might sound like I'm trying to say that this sin of adultery that this woman has committed isn't really that bad of a sin. But that's not what I'm trying to say at all. Remember, back then, this was a major sin and it still is a major sin to this day. But this woman had been caught in the act. There was no defending herself. 
So when they bring her before Jesus and mention the law to Christ and the law was that she should be condemned, their anger and everything wasn't towards this woman. It was towards Jesus. She was just a tool to achieve their goal of taking Jesus down. She had to feel hopeless. I mean, engulfed in embarrassment, shame, fear of what's going to happen next to me. And back then, they had stones to throw. If they would have had it, though, the technology back then, they wouldn't be carrying stones to throw at her. They'd be pulling these out. They'd be taking pictures. They'd be updating their Facebook post, commenting different comments with statuses of judgment and opinions of what should happen to her. The other women who were there around Christ probably you know, clung to their husband's arms a little tighter, wondering about pastimes that they had seen him talking to her, maybe. Immediate judgment and hatred towards her was just filling the temple courts from those who were bystanders, the Pharisees, everybody except for one man. They asked him, what is your judgment about this? And Jesus didn't answer. Instead, he got down and he began to write on the ground with his finger. So they kept pestering, wanting to know his answer. And they thought they had him cornered. They had him trapped. They thought, this is it. We've got him. Hook, line and sinker. He's going to take the bait. No matter which way he goes, we get to ruin Jesus right here today. But here's the thing. No matter how Jesus answered their request, he would be breaking a law. Because if he said to let her go and not to stone her, they would yell out that he's not keeping the law of Moses. And then he would lose all credibility with all of his followers and everybody there who had heard his teachings. But also, if he would have said, eh, stone her to death, then he would have been in trouble with the Romans. Because they were the only ones who had authority back then to deal with executing someone. But then Jesus did something that he was so good at. He turned it around. He wanted them to figure out who was worthy to do the stoning themselves. And he did so by saying one of the most popular statements within all of Scripture that we all have heard before. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And then it got silent. Dead silent. One by one, beginning with the oldest one, they began to walk away. Why would the oldest ones be the first to walk away? It's no secret that many times the older you are, the more sins you have committed. It's just logic. I mean, we've had more time here on earth. We've had more experiences. We've had more opportunities to fall. And after Christ said that, said this, they had to feel so embarrassed their conscience had just took a sting and it was at a whole nother level. And they heard Jesus say this. And just when they thought they had him, just when they thought that they could cancel him, he said, go ahead. And he put it right back on them. And after a little while, Christ looked up and he asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she replied, no one condemned me. And they've all left. Jesus then told her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, how could Jesus just simply tell this woman who was an adulteress to go and sin no more? I mean, you see, 
Jesus knew that he was the savior and he had come to die upon the cross for the forgiveness of sins. But you may ask, how could Jesus just forgive her? I mean, he hasn't been crucified yet. He knew what was going to happen. And God knew it as well because he can see all things past, present and future all at one time. So when this woman was lying in the dust at Jesus's feet and he forgave her, he was forgiving her on the basis of what was going to happen. You see, the cross doesn't forgive us or it forgives us for our past sins. It forgives us for the sins that we are currently making. And it also forgives us for the sins that we will make in the future as well. Now, does this mean that Christ was just excusing what this woman had done? Was he saying that what she had done was it's now okay because I know that uh, I'm going to go to Calvary and I'm going to die upon the cross. So even if she continued to commit that sin later on, it would be okay. Of course not. He wasn't saying that her sin was a serious one. No, he was he was calling her out also. But not only that, he was conquering her sin. Jesus knows our hearts, and he knew that this woman's heart was exploding with repentance. And he said, go and sin no more. What do you think happened to that woman's heart after she heard Jesus say that? Here she was thinking that this was the end, full of embarrassment, guilt, fear. And Jesus tells her that she is forgiven. And all those negative feelings disappeared and were replaced with hope. She was given a second chance when she thought it was all over. This is the grace of God in full action. The grace of God is forgiving us for our sins. It's him looking at us and telling us that it's it's not all over. And, and he's giving us second and third and fourth chances. She was given a new opportunity to walk in God's grace. And he gives that to us today still. Remember, this woman was caught in the act. And how many of us were judging her for her sin maybe earlier when we heard the scripture being read or maybe a long time ago when we first heard it the very first time? How many of us were judging just like they did that day? How many of us still do that today in other situations? How many of us judge ourselves for the sins that we have committed Thinking that our sins are just so bad that there is no way that Jesus could ever forgive me for that. Well, it's not about ranking our sins. It's about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about the debt of sin that for the entire world that was placed upon Christ when he was hung upon the cross. And he says that if you ask him for his forgiveness and you believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that he will forgive you. This isn't based on the performance that you will have to do after coming to Christ. It's a new beginning that is based on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So how does God provide that forgiveness? He does it today the same way that he did all those years back then. Through the blood that was shed upon the cross by Jesus. No matter what you have done in your past, it can never outweigh the cross. He can set you free so that you are no longer held in bondage to your past. You mean to tell me that I could have a, a new beginning right here, right now, today? And the answer to that is yes. And we could do so by following what this woman did as well. You have to do what she did. Even though she committed adultery, she faced her sin. Even though she was drug out there and forced to do so, which is something that 
can happen to us at times. And we thank God that it was because would it have ever been brought to light? Would she have ever come to Christ? But through this action that the Pharisees did, thinking that she was done, Jesus was done. Jesus made it into something more and a blessing for her. So we have to face our sins and we have to do it and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny our sin. We can't hide from it. We can't pretend that it's just not there. We have to face it. And this is what makes it so hard at times to go to God for forgiveness of our sins, because it's so hard to forgive ourselves as well, because we just do not want to go back in our minds and face that sin that we had committed maybe even years ago. But what we don't realize is that when we fail to face it, we are held captive to it. It weighs on us day and night. It comes back and it haunts us instead of instead of us going to God and saying, Father, I am guilty of the of this sin that I have committed. We carry it around with us. Facing it is taking it to God and confessing it. It's taking responsibility for it and owning up to it without making excuses for what we did, what has happened to us, what somebody else did to us. It's us saying that we are sorry for what we did for saying what we said or for thinking what we thought. We have to own up to it and we have to face it. The second thing is that we have to then accept his forgiveness. And once again, that is based on what he did on the cross and not what we are going to do. It's all on him. Now, let's just go back to that forgiving ourselves. If you have confessed your sin to God and you believe in Jesus Christ and you have made him your Lord and your Savior, then you are forgiven. So why can't you forgive yourself? If the one true living God who is all powerful and all holy has forgiven you, why can't you forgive yourself? When we fail to forgive ourselves after God has already forgiven us, we make an idol out of ourselves. We put ourselves above God saying that we know better. So if you have received this forgiveness from God, you need to forgive yourself as well, because he has what outweighs ourselves and our own emotions. And finally, we must believe that we, too, can have a new beginning. If we don't believe that, then we will continue to carry this heavy luggage with us and we will feel it spiritually. We'll feel it emotionally, physically, and we will see it leaking into certain areas of our lives that we wish it hadn't. We have to remember that we cannot live a perfect life. And Jesus knows this. He doesn't expect us to. I once read that God created me knowing every single sin I would commit, every moment that I would backslide and fall short. And yet he still created me. He still loved me and he still calls me his own. Jesus told the woman to go and sin sin no more. He wasn't telling her to live a perfect life. He wasn't saying he was what he was saying was to go and not commit that sin and to leave that lifestyle behind. Remember, in John chapter three, Jesus said that he hadn't come into this world to condemn it, but to be saved. And what about when we see others fall into sin? Paul reminds us that if you see your fellow man stumble, you don't criticize him. You don't kick him while he's down. You encourage him and you lift them up lest you too shall be tempted and fall. As God's people, we are to love one another. We're to care for one another. It doesn't mean that we just ignore sin, but we are to do as Jesus did. After all, one of God's main goals is to conform us to the image of Christ. We are to be loving. 
kind, encouraging to those who fall into temptation and then help pick them back up. Because that is what Jesus did. And thank God we don't get what we deserve. It is by his grace. And Jesus knew this woman's heart was full of repentance. This woman surrendered to Christ in that terrifying moment in her life. Jesus came not to condemn sinful individuals like you and I, but to convert us and to give us a transformed life and a new beginning. So when you think about your sinful past, you have to ask yourself, how much longer am I going to carry this with me, this regret and this pain? Or are you going to face it and accept God's forgiveness and accept the chance for a new beginning that God is giving to you? You won't have to live with the embarrassment, the shame, the pain, the fear, the regret anymore. You'll experience that freedom. And all you have to do is ask God to forgive you for your sin based upon what Christ did upon that cross all those years ago. And that you are taking off this weight of your past in faith that he has forgiven you and that you are surrendering your life to him and naming him your Lord and your Savior. You see, you may feel cornered because of your past and by others who judge you. But in the eyes of God. When you come to him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and you ask for forgiveness, you will never be canceled. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for second chances. Not only that, God, but we thank you for our third and fourth and fifth chances and so on. We lift up to you and we pray for the hearts that are here today also that are just surrounded by guilt condemnation, judgment, and embarrassment. God, we know that when you come, when we come to you through faith in Jesus and we confess our sins, that we can experience a new beginning, a fresh start. There is no sin so great that can stain our lives that the blood of Christ can't wash away. Help us rest in your power and wiping us clean. Help us forgive ourselves as well as others so that we do not follow in the footsteps of those who attempted to condemn that woman or your son, Jesus, on the temple court floor that day. We surrender ourselves to you and we continuously proclaim you as our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, God, for never giving up on us. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. Amen.